When it comes to the second coming of Christ, there have been a lot of claims made about the day it will happen. With a comment on those who purport to know, here's Pastor John Randall. Somebody says he's coming on that day, you can know this, that's not the day. So mark that down, he's definitely not coming today. One particular Jewish scholar pointed out that in the course of Israel's history, since the time of our Lord to the present, there has been over 64 different individuals who have claimed to be the Messiah. And there's probably even more than that. He's over here. No, he isn't. He's over there. No, he isn't. It's not going to be immediate. This is a daily walk, the radio outreach from Calvary South OC. It's good to have you with us as we reopen the Gospel of Luke together. In chapter 17, Jesus turns our attention to his second coming. It's been 2,000 years since our Lord uttered these words, and one can't help but ask just when this prophecy will be fulfilled. Here's Pastor John Randall with a study helping us get ready for the return of the Lord. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the sons of man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the son of man will be in his day. We come to a very important subject that Luke records concerning the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was something that the Jewish people were anticipating. It was something that they were expecting to come. And the reason that they were expecting it to come was because it had been prophetically foretold. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures... The prophets continually pointed to a time when there would be a sovereign ruler, a sovereign king, and he would rule and establish his kingdom upon the earth, and that kingdom would last forever. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, Isaiah prophesied and said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. Isaiah prophesied, there is a kingdom coming and a king who will reign upon the throne of David forever. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, as Daniel was serving in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, a vision. And this dream was of a large statue that was made up of different types of metal. And the statue represented the world-dominating kingdoms that would be on the earth. And it started with the Babylonian Empire. And then it went to the Medo-Persian Empire. And then it went to the Greek Empire. And then the Roman Empire. But when that statue was 
standing there, there was also a rock, it says, not hewn with hands, that came and struck the statue at its feet, and the statue was destroyed. And that rock became a mountain that covered the entire earth. This was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Daniel then gave an interpretation of that dream, and he said this, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. A kingdom coming that will be standing throughout eternity. You remember when Mary was informed by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 that she was to conceive and to have a son, that the Spirit of God would overshadow her, and when she would have this son and bring forth this son, she was to call his name Jesus. He would save his people from their sins. And she was informed that he would be great and be called Son of the Highest, and the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. The prophecies were spoken. There is a kingdom coming. Jesus was to be the king, ultimately, of that kingdom, and he would reign forever. And there are many multitudes of other prophetic scriptures where it talks about the king coming and ruling with a rod of iron, that he will judge the peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off, and that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against other nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the anticipation This is the desire, the longing for this kingdom to come. But not only did the scriptures prophetically point to a kingdom that would come, but when the ministry of Jesus began, the theme of his preaching was all about the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel, as Jesus began to preach in his earthly ministry, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. There's a kingdom that is coming. Many of the parables that Jesus told within his teaching, much of which we have studied in the Gospel of Luke, were about the kingdom. Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of heaven is like this. He spoke consistently about the kingdom in his parabolic teaching, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, Jesus talked about those who would gain entrance into this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven. Jesus told his disciples when they prayed to pray for this kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. With so much emphasis prophetically and through the preaching of Jesus, it is no wonder that the people became very excited about the possibility of a kingdom being established when Jesus came the first time. You remember that after Jesus had fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fishes, right after that occurred, it says that the people in John chapter 6, they came to Jesus to take him by force and to make him their king. The disciples were excited about that. They were desiring that. 
When Jesus made his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem on his last Passover before his crucifixion, all of the people took off their outer garments, you remember, laid them in the street, and they took palm branches and began to wave them, and they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save now. You're the king. They were longing for this kingdom. The disciples were anticipating this kingdom. They often had heated discussions amongst themselves as to who would be the greatest in this kingdom. Peter at one point confessed that Jesus was the Lord and and Jesus said, Peter, you're given the keys to the kingdom. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 19, I say to you in the regeneration, when the son of man sits upon his throne of glory, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The disciples wanted to be in that kingdom. They anticipated ruling and reigning with Christ on those 12 thrones. James and John were so excited about the kingdom, they had their mom go to Jesus and say, hey, listen, we heard you talking about thrones. What do you think about my two boys sitting on your right hand and left hand? They were longing for this kingdom. When Jesus stood before Pilate in John chapter 18, and Pilate was questioning him about whether he was a king or not, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight and I would not be delivered to you by the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. What do we know concerning the kingdom of God? For one thing, we know that there is a present spiritual kingdom to which a person becomes a part of through salvation. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. A person gains entrance, becomes a part of the kingdom of God when they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. He becomes, in essence, your king. He sits upon, as it were, the throne of your life and he guides and directs you and you are submitted to the king and you are saying, you reign. You're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I acknowledge you. You are my king. I'm a part of this kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. The Bible tells us that when a person accepts Christ, they are delivered out from under the power of darkness and they are conveyed or translated into the kingdom of of the son of his love. When? At conversion. When someone is saved, you become a part of the kingdom. The kingdom just expanded when somebody gave their life to Christ. But also we know that there is a kingdom that is future and that will be eternal. When Jesus comes in his second coming, The Bible says that he will establish his kingdom upon the earth. And Revelation 11 tells us that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. I am presently a part of the kingdom. Jesus is my king, but I also will be in the future a part of that kingdom, ruling and reigning with Christ, the Bible says. And every prophetic scripture that has been spoken will be fulfilled when he comes to establish his kingdom upon the earth. But the Pharisees, hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom, come with a question. And it says here in verse 20, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. 
Now keep in mind, when the Pharisees would ask Jesus a question, they weren't asking him a question because they wanted an answer. You know that by now. They were asking him a question because they wanted to ensnare him. They wanted to trap him somehow. You see, they could not convince Rome to crucify Jesus for healing people and for feeding people. That wasn't worthy of death, capital punishment. However, if they could somehow convince Rome that he claimed to be a king and that he was going to establish a kingdom, well, that's something rather different. That could form a a rebellion of sorts and they could have him crucified. And so the Pharisees ask this question. Now Jesus responds to their question when he is asked when the kingdom will be established, but he responds with where the kingdom will be established, not when. He says the kingdom of God does not come with observation. They won't say see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Understand, the Pharisees were not born again. They did not believe in Jesus, therefore they did not comprehend the kingdom. They assumed there would be these physical signs. They would be able to discern the kingdom. But there were signs, weren't there? Think about the teaching of Jesus. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom served as a sign, and yet they rejected his teaching. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have life, but they are those which testify of me, and you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. They were hearing him teach, but they were not receiving his teaching. Therefore, they were missing the kingdom. Not only did his teaching present the kingdom, but also the miracles that he performed demonstrated the power of the king and of his kingdom. Jesus said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the miracles that I perform. In John chapter 14, he said that. They saw the miracles. They heard the teaching, but they did not observe. The king was right in front of them, and they could not understand that. This becomes very clear in Matthew chapter 12. You remember in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus cast out a demon from a person who was possessed. Right after he performed this miracle of deliverance, what happened? The Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the power of demons, by the power of Satan. And Jesus responded to this accusation by saying, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, which he did, he said, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You understand? The kingdom of God was demonstrated on a daily basis. All you had to do was just hang out with Jesus and see elements of the kingdom and the king himself. But they could not see it. Jesus said to them, it doesn't come with observation. The kingdom of God is within you or among you. If they did not respond to the king internally, then they would not be able to experience nor observe the kingdom externally. Understand, in his first coming, when Jesus came the first time to set up his kingdom, it was dealing with the issue in man's heart. It was internal. More than the bondage to Rome was the bondage to sin. And so Jesus came and dealt with that first in his first coming as a suffering Messiah. But in his second coming, he will come and establish his kingdom upon the earth. But again, the religious leaders were blind to this. They could discern the face of the sky. They knew what the weather was like, but they could not discern the signs of the times. And thus Jesus referred to them as hypocrites. Jesus now turns from the Pharisees and he begins to address 
his disciples about this same subject concerning the second coming, for this was certainly on their minds as well. Look at verse 22. Then he said unto his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, well, look here or look there. Don't go after them. Don't follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. What Jesus shares with his disciples here, towards the end of the 17th chapter, parallels to a certain degree what he shared in the Olivet Discourse, found in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, with much more detail. This is somewhat of a abridged version of what he shares there. But nonetheless, Jesus gives them some insight concerning his second coming. And the first thing he points out, number one, is it will not come immediately. It's not going to happen like that. When Jesus died, rose from the dead, and then ascended, he was there with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He ascended back to glory. The disciples were standing there, the book of Acts says, looking up. And the angel said to them, why are you standing here? The same way that he went up, he's going to come again. And the disciples believed that. But they believed it was going to happen immediately. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. This was the expectation. So they're waiting for him to come. And they were living as if he could come at any moment. Look at the epistles and you will find this emphasized over and over, being prepared, being ready for the return of the Lord. That is the way that they lived. They thought he was coming back in the the early church. He didn't come yet. It wasn't immediate. And in the interim of that time, from then even to the present time of the church age, people have been saying, oh, the Messiah is over here, or he's over there, or he's coming on this day, or he's coming on that day. Let me just say something. When somebody says he's coming on that day, you can know this, that's not the day. So mark that down. He's definitely not coming today. (laughs) But nonetheless, it was not going to come immediately. And Satan knew that people were anticipating the immediacy of the return of Christ. And so he began to take advantage of that. One particular Jewish scholar pointed out that in the course of Israel's history, since the time of our Lord to the present, there has been over 64 different individuals who have claimed to be the Messiah. And there's probably even more than that. He's over here. No, he isn't. He's over there. No, he isn't. It's not going to be immediate. The second thing Jesus points out about his second coming, not only that it would not be immediately, but number two, he tells us here, it would not come secretly. It's not going to be over here in this corner or over there in that corner, and it's going to be something hidden. Jesus said it's going to be like lightning flashing from one end of the earth to the other. It's going to be very visible. It's not going to be a secret when Jesus comes back again. The Bible tells us, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Every eye means what it says. Everybody's going to see him. Listen, when the sun doesn't give its light and when the moon no longer shines and all you see is the glory of Jesus coming back, yep, that's him. You will know it. The Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 13 that when he comes back, those who will see him will say, where did you receive those wounds? And he'll say, I received these in the house of my friends. They will recognize him. Zechariah chapter 14 says when Jesus comes again, that in that day he will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem to the east. 
and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to the west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall go toward the north and half of it shall go toward the south. That's pretty obvious. You'll know it's him. It's not gonna be a secret when Jesus comes back again. But Jesus also tells his disciples before his second coming, it would not come without his suffering. Look at what it says in verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This point right here was something that the disciples struggled with tremendously. They could not, for the life of them, understand why it was Jesus had to go to the cross. Every time he talked about it, they didn't want to talk about it. Every time he pointed to it, they wanted, Lord, don't talk about that anymore. They wouldn't ask him about it anymore because they were fearful. And the closer they got to Jerusalem, as he set his face toward Jerusalem, they were worried. They were troubled. Lord, should we go into Jerusalem? You know, there's a lot of people that want to kill you there. Jesus would say, for this reason, the Son of Man has come. He is going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed into the the hands of sinful men. They're going to spit upon him. They're going to blaspheme him. They're going to scourge him. They're going to crucify him. And the third day, he's going to rise again. They only heard about the, the beatings and the sufferings and the crucifixion. They could not remember about the resurrection. But he was going to suffer. If Jesus did not come and suffer for humanity, then he could not come and reign in his kingdom throughout eternity. That is why the Jewish people, when Jesus did not fulfill their messianic desires, their messianic picture of him going in and overthrowing Rome, they turned on him. At one moment, they are saying, Hosanna, save us now. At the end of the week, they're saying, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. Why? Because he did not fulfill in his first coming what they desired to see, which would take place in his second coming. He had to first come and suffer and die so that man could be saved. But when he comes again, he will establish his kingdom, the Bible says, upon the earth. Well, thanks for joining us today on A Daily Walk. To catch a replay of today's message from Pastor John Randall, simply go online to adailywalk.org or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and through the Calvary South OC app. If you'd rather have a CD copy of the study from our Through the Bible series, we can send that to you for a cost of $5. Here's where to reach us toll-free, 877-242-0828. You can use that to order resources, or if you have any questions, that's 877-242-0828. We light up around here when a listener shares what God is doing in their life and how they're helped through the teaching of God's Word. If you feel led to write, here's our email address, adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. It sure would be nice to connect with you. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day.
We pray this devotional will bring you hope as you seek Jesus and share in the wisdom of God from the heart of a pastor's wife. We're offering it for the special price of $15. Just call us and request A Daily Walk for Women at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Again, that's 877-242-0828. And please remember, it's your faithful contribution to the Lord's work at A Daily Walk that allows us to bring Pastor John's studies to the radio every day. We can't do it alone and totally rely on the Lord to make all this happen. Secure donations can be made at adailywalk.org. With more insights about the second coming of Christ, here again is John. Jesus now looks back at two Old Testament events to describe the condition of the world before his second coming. What's the world going to be like? We know that there's a king. We know that there's a kingdom coming. What condition is the world going to be in before he comes back? He tells us here by looking at two Old Testament passages. The first, he refers to the story of Noah. It says in verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the son of man. What were they doing? It says they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In Genesis chapter 6, when you go back and look at what was taking place during the times of Noah, you can read, for one thing, there was a population explosion, untold numbers upon the earth. We also know that violence was prevalent, covering the earth. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in Genesis that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We'll hear more about the second coming of Jesus next time on A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. We'll see you then. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C. 